0: I am really excited to be beginning our new sermon series this morning called "Come to the Table." Hopefully, on the way in, you got one of these little booklets, um, and I'm just going to talk about that a little bit later. But um, that's there to guide us over the next six weeks as we as we walk through this sermon series together. And basically, what we're going to be doing as we 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 head towards Easter, we're going to be exploring together as a church family what it means to encounter. Jesus through communion. And so I'm going to pray for us and then we're just going to get stuck straight in. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. I ask that you come and that you'd still our hearts this morning. You give us ears to receive all that you have to say to us this morning and you'd make our hearts receptive. Come, Lord Jesus. So if you've been about the vineyard for any length of time, then you'll know that experiencing God's presence is is at the center of all that we do. We make it really clear all the time, we're a people of God's presence. And we don't want to be a group of people, just a group of people who do a lot of good things and attain a lot of head knowledge about who God is. But we want to be a people who actually encounter living God. We want to experience a deep friendship with him. We want to allow him to shape our lives with his power and his transforming love. And we know that throughout history, when the people of God centered their lives around the presence of God, complete nations were changed. Incredible things happened. Looking back, when the nation of Israel built a temple as a place for God's presence to dwell and for the people of God to come together to worship and meet with God, they experienced unprecedented revival. We were singing about revival this morning. They experienced prosperity. They experienced peace, wisdom, celebration, multiplication. And mission, the surrounding nations turning to Israel for wisdom and guidance. They recognised that every good thing starts in the presence of God. I love this verse in Colossians one verse seventeen, it says this He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So encountering and experiencing God's presence is right at the center of everything that we do in this church. And as we, as we do this thing called church, there's so many ways that we can experience God's presence. Sometimes it's through reading scripture. Sometimes it's through prayer. And sometimes and often during our worship together, God loves to bless us as we seek after him. And the author of Hebrews states that anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. When we sing songs of worship, it's a cry of our hearts to be close to God. And when we seek him, we can trust him that he will reward us with his presence. When we invite the Holy Spirit to come, his, pre- his presence and his power are near. We're a people of God's presence longing to encounter King Jesus. And some of you this morning, as you were worshipping, you might have felt maybe for the first time like a tingling sensation on your hands. Or just like a heaviness, like a good heaviness, like a weight being placed on you. Um, or just even a stillness and a peace in your, in, in, in your thoughts that you hadn't felt all week. Maybe you've been walking through the week and it's just been anxious, and this morning as you walked in and as you started worshiping, you felt you just felt the stillness of God come upon you. That's just the presence of God. When we seek Him, He will reward us with His presence. He loves to bless those who seek after Him, and it's actually not about a physical sensation. Those things aren't that important but actually what is important is what's going on inside our hearts as King Jesus meets with us, as he, as he reaches into our lives to love upon us. And one of the ways we experience God's presence is by celebrating the Lord's Supper. Known also as communion or the Eucharist, breaking bread is so much more than just a mere ritual. Communion is not just something that we do like four times a year at set intervals in the church calendar or maybe at a set time in the church service, and that'll change depending on what background you come from. But sharing the cup and the bread is a transformational experience where we remember and celebrate all that Jesus has done for us. The communion table is a place of encounter. And as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we express our adoration to King Jesus and we invite his kingdom to come and to reign amongst us. Communion is, is one of the things that Jesus commanded us to do in remembrance of him. And um, actually, I think that so often the church has misunderstood this command, right? The reason I think Jesus put so much importance and significance on this was that he knew that the communion table is a place where we we remember who we are in him, right? It's through the bread and the cup that he reinforces our identity and our significance as children of God. It's a symbolic act to remind us who we are in him, that we are deeply loved by God, that we are known by God, And that we can know God. And actually, it was never Jesus' intention that this would be a solemn opportunity to navel gaze. To think about how bad we've been during the week. Or to think about our own sinfulness and brokenness. And for many of us, that's actually our experience. That the communion table is a solemn place. It was never supposed to be like that. It's a place where he lifts our heads up, where he looks straight into our eyes and where he reminds us that he loves us and that he treasures us. And as so often happens, humans misinterpret the commands of Jesus and turn them into nothing more than mere rituals, completely missing out on their power and their significance. Just uh, as we launched our church 18 months ago, Um, I got an email before we'd actually started on Thursday nights across the road. I got an email from um, a Christian, a well-meaning Christian from another church. Who um, who, This wasn't the only email I got telling us we weren't a real church, but um, I don't know sometimes whether we are a real church, truthfully. We are, by the way. I'm just joking. Um, I got an email from a well-meaning Christian from another church who told me that we weren't a real church because we were not meeting on the first day of the week to break bread. And as I was saying, um, and, and as those of you who were about back then will we'll know, we met on Thursday nights at the start. Um, so, yeah, we weren't meeting on the first day of the week. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to criticize or condemn this person. John Wimber um, often used to say, your brother is still your brother, even whenever he's behaving like your enemy. It's a good one, isn't it? We've got to remember that sometimes. Um, but he meant well, but I, I believe he completely misinterpreted the reason why Jesus asked us to break the bread and to drink the cup in remembrance of him. The passage he was referring to in Acts chapter 20 doesn't say that we have to do it on the first day of the week. We can do it as often as we need to, morning, noon and night on any day of the week, but it's not about ticking a box. It's about meeting with Jesus and letting his beautiful love surround us and remind us who we are. It's around the Lord's table that God meets the thirsty heart, the hungry heart, the fearful heart, the troubled heart, the darkened heart, and the wandering heart. Right where we are. And it's also deeply important that this is a shared experience as well. We do this together as a family We are a community of pilgrims journeying together towards a new heaven and a new earth. And the Lord's Supper teaches us about God's love and the value of community. The shared act of receiving communion together forms us and strengthens us as the family of God. Something significant actually happens when we do this together. Something significant happens when we worship together. And when we gather together, do not underestimate the importance and significance of community and church family. He's brought us together so that we can be formed into the likeness of Christ, so that we can learn to love others and let others love us, so that we can learn to forgive others and let others forgive us, and so that we can learn to serve others and let others. Serve us. And if you're looking for a new church family to come and be part of, if you don't currently have one, I'd love to extend an invitation to you this morning. But I would say this. If you're looking for a perfect one, you'll not find it here. Because we're all broken. But actually, the joy is that we get to invite Jesus to form us and to make us more like him as we begin to learn how to love each other. We'll make mistakes at times and we'll have to forgive each other and we'll have to let others forgive us. But we're on a transformational journey of becoming more like Jesus and it happens in community. The author of Hebrews said this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And I want to challenge the apathy amongst many Christians these days about actually showing up and being present with your church family. You know, it's not just something that we do if you've got nothing better to do on a Sunday morning. I'm probably preaching to the converted this morning. It's not just something we do if it works out or if it's convenient, but this wonderful thing we call church is where God shapes us and forms us and makes us more like him. It's through the church that he wants to express his love and compassion to a world in need of a savior. So don't underestimate the significance and the importance of meeting together. Let's faithfully show up and be present with one another. The ongoing realm of communion within the life of the church also encourages us to pursue God's blessings for those around us. When we receive the bread and the cup, we receive it alongside other broken people who are loved by God, who are known by God, and who are called to live lives of greatness. Significance. So as we do this thing later on at the end of our service, and we're going to do this over the course of the next six weeks, we normally just do communion once a month, but we're going to, we're going to do something different over the next six weeks, and we're going to do it at the end of the service. Whenever you come to the table later on, look around you and recognize the people around you are called to live lives of greatness and significance. And maybe this morning... The Holy Spirit might want to speak to you for somebody else, to give you a word, a word of encouragement. Maybe you might want to go and pray for somebody this morning and call out the gold, call out the greatness and the significance that's upon their lives. And the Lord's Supper is also the perfect context for the church to express the grand welcome of Jesus to those around us. It's an invitation to a meal that anticipates a greater meal, or some might say a party, right? We like a good party around here. Um, But often what happens in many churches is that the communion table is just an exclusive place for people who already know Jesus. But actually it was never supposed to be like that. And I'm coming into fresh revelation of this truth as well. The communion table is a place where anybody can encounter Jesus, even for the very first time. So in this house, everybody is welcome to come to the table to encounter Jesus, whether it's for the first time or the 700th time. If you want to meet with Jesus, then you're welcome. The communion table is a place of encounter. And just as I've been praying for our church over this last while, and some of our intercessors have been praying as well. Um, I believe that, that this is something that Jesus wants to do in us over the next while, as uh, over the next six weeks or so as we explore this. I, I believe he wants to get a hold of us and he wants us to grasp how deep, how wide, how long and how high his love for us actually is. That we've maybe heard it in our heads, but it hasn't taken root in our hearts So I think the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in us. And what we've known in our heads, maybe even for decades, is going to start to seep down into our hearts. God is throwing a party and everyone is invited. And I believe as we start to get it, as we start to grasp the Father's love for us, many of us are actually going to have opportunities as well to share the good news with other people who do not yet know Jesus. And we were praying at the back this morning before we started. And I felt this kind of tingling sensation just kind of go right down through my f- the bottom of my legs and my feet. And I felt him say, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. And that's why this is so important when we step into risk and do what Danielle did la- last month when we step out, because blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. God's throwing a party. Everybody's invited and It's our job to invite other people to the party. Alan Scott, formerly of Causeway Coast Veynard, used to say, probably still does say, there's never going to be a move of God without a move of the church. Yeah? We were praying about revival this morning, but there's never going to be a move of God without a move of the church first. Every city is hard to reach when the church stays in the building. So let's not be a church that stays in the building. Let's not be a church that puts all our focus and all our energy into, into meetings together. Yes, sure, that stuff's important, but let's be a church that's stretch out and lean out beyond the risk barrier. So that's where we're heading over the next six weeks. Um, and as I said earlier, just to help us on... On this journey, we have the booklets that you got as you came in. If you didn't get one, come and see us at the end and we'll make sure that you can get one as well. And they're designed to work through in a small group. Um, we're not doing that. We're doing other things in our life groups. If you're not part of a life group and you want to be part of a life group, then come and talk to us at the end as well and we'll get you connected. Um, but those wee booklets, you can just use. You just, can just take them and use them um, for your personal times with Jesus. If you've already got rhythms in your life for connecting with Jesus, then don't worry about it. Um, Just do whatever works for you. But if you don't have anything and you want want the way of connecting with Jesus, then then take those booklets and and use them as a devotional over the next six weeks. And uh, the, the first page of it in week one says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. So this is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. One of the songs that we often sing in this church is, Good, good, Father. You're a good, good, Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And as I was saying earlier, we might know in our heads that this is true, but I wonder, do we actually know in our hearts? You see, so often our view of the Father is shaped by our past experience maybe of church but it's also shaped by our own unique experience of our earthly father and we've got to recognize that sometimes we can actually project our own experiences onto who we think God is and so consequently we we also we, we often end up with a false view of who God is the father is not a strict old man who criticizes every mistake you make Maybe for some of you, that was a very real experience growing up of a father who criticised you, who, who constantly prodded you every time you made a mistake. He's not waiting to punish you every time you mess up. He doesn't have a bad and unpredictable temper. And he's not impatient with us when we don't walk according to his plans. I'm sure everybody's met people that were kind of forced down a particular career route or forced to do a particular thing because it was their parents' dream for them. Maybe even it's you. Maybe you felt the pressure of that and you felt the impatience of your parents because you didn't walk according to their plans. Many of us know the pain of that. We know how it feels but the good news is God is not impatient with us when we don't walk according to his plans. And, and because of, of our own experiences, we may have actually got a messed up distorted image of who God is. And we need to come back to the truth of who the Bible says that he is. And the Bible tells us that our heavenly father is slow to anger. And he's rich in love. That he has good plans for us. And he always acts in our best interests. And that he accepts you the way you are right now. He's not waiting for you to get somewhere or to achieve something. Or for something to work out the way he wants it to work out. He accepts you and he loves you right now. He's a good, good father. And we are deeply loved by him. He is abounding in love for us, and it's not dependent on our own performance and behavior. He loves us. Some of the most well-known verses of Scripture in the Bible are found in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, I bet you if I went up to everybody in this room, most of you would know those verses. Certainly verse 16 anyway. Maybe verse 17 you might kind of struggle with as well. It's not in just as many placards, but verse 16 certainly we'll know. But many of us actually have a hard time accepting the fact that God loves us personally. Words and all. And instead, we've adopted a worldview that says this. We will be either accepted or rejected based on our own behavior or performance. We will be either accepted or rejected based on our own behavior or performance. And if you think about it, some of the first words that we hear as infants are the words good or bad. A good boy or bad boy, good girl, bad girl. And so often before we know how to speak even, we become aware that acceptance depends on our behavior. Now, don't pick this up wrong. It's, it's a really important job for a parent to teach children the difference between right and wrong. But the challenge is doing that in a way that makes it clear to children that it's their actions being evaluated and not their identity. And as we grew up, we grew up in a culture that assaults our identity, continually assaults our identity, that says we've got to look a certain way, that says we've got to act a certain way, that says we've got to get the approval of others to be accepted. And because we've been ingrained with performance-based values from the world around us, we can actually project that same understanding onto God. And instead of experiencing God's love and grace through relationship with him, we've adopted a legalistic and transactional understanding of who God is and how we think we should relate to him. And do you know what? That's nothing more than superstition. That's old, boring religion. And we don't need that. James Brian Smith says this, Performance-based acceptance, legalism, is a dominant narrative for many of us, despite the fact that it leaves us in a state of constant uncertainty and anxiety. Hear those words in the media all the time at the minute. The good news is that this is not Jesus' narrative. In fact, he seemed to go out of his way in both words and actions to tell the opposite story about God. So when we apply this narrative to our relationship with God, it looks something like this. If I go to church regularly, if I read my Bible every day, if I give, if I serve, if I act nice and smile like a Christian, I'm not so good at that, but I'm I'm learning, I'm getting there. If I act nice and try not to sin, then God will maybe like me, yeah. And so many Christians spend most of their lives living out of this false narrative and focusing all their time and energy trying to earn God's approval. And maybe, just maybe get a ticket into heaven at the end of it all. Folks, we don't need to live like that. We don't need to live like that. Heaven is already in our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We are loved. We are accepted. We have been bought with a price. And we get to live from a place of love and acceptance and rest instead of striving. Oh, the freedom freedom from not having to strive, from not having to earn the Father's favor, from not having to have it all together. He loves us just the way we are. He accepts us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. And James Brown Smith says this, this passage has brought comfort to countless people and is considered by many to be a summation of the entire Bible. Jesus is explaining the reason for his mission. God loved the world and wanted to save it. Many people believe that God is mad at them. Do you believe that God is mad at you? But for some reason, he is yet to punish them fully. Such people would be more comfortable had God said, for God was so mad at the world that he sent his son to come down and tell everybody to shape up and whoever shaped up would then get eternal life. Indeed, God did send his son into the world to condemn it in order that the world might be saved through good works. Thank God that's not the case. Thank God that's not the case. But so many of us live our lives like it is. The truth is we are deeply loved by God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing that you have done or ever will do can separate you from the wonderful love of God. Nothing that He has ever, nothing that has ever been done to you can separate you from His love. There is nothing that will shock him or make Him change his mind. And in my short time as a pastor, I've heard many people's stories, and, um, and so often people think they're going to shock me. Well, sure, God loves us, but he hasn't heard what I've done. Mm, ben, my past is too dark. It's too broken. God couldn't love me. My story is too scandalous, and it will shock you way too much. We're all broken and I've yet to be shocked by anyone's stories. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has to be believed, doesn't it? It has to be believed. It is not too good to be true. It's called the good news for a reason. And it is very, very, very good news. Nothing any of us could ever do could ever be more scandalous than the death of Jesus on the cross. God loves you. Whatever your past is, whatever your story is, he loves you before you can do anything in return. He's mad about you. He's not mad with you. The late Brennan Manning said this. Here is the revelation, bright as the evening star. Jesus comes for sinners, for those as outcast as tax collectors, and for those caught up in squalid choices and fall dreams, field dreams. He comes for corporate executives, street people, superstars, farmers, hookers, addicts, IRS agents, aid victims, and even used car salesmen. I love the way he kind of squeezed that in at the end, as if they're like the worst people, right? But to be fair, the first car I ever bought was uh, 3,000 pounds from somebody off a side street just off the Castlereagh Road in Belfast. And boy, he ripped me off. So I think that should be in there. Um, I'm just kidding, by the way. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And you're known by him. I love this passage. In Psalm... 139. And to be honest, it's a sermon in itself. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. And some of you need to hear this next bit this morning. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You're not a mistake. You're known by God. He knows you intimately. He formed you in your mother's womb, and He does not make mistakes. You were uniquely made and formed and he loves you. You don't need to try and be like other people. Each one of us here is made for greatness. God had a great purpose in mind when he made each one of us. And he's not ashamed of us. I was brought up in a big family. I'm the middle of five kids and um, I was brought up in Belfast and um, anyway the family that I was part of was kind of rowdy and still is rowdy because everybody's got married now and had kids of their own and every time we get together it's just I think there's 22 of us at the minute but another two on the way so there's about to be 24 soon. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm the middle of five kids and that meant I had to learn to stretch or starve right. Anybody else come from a big family and relate to that? If you want to eat something, you have to elbow everybody beside you and uh, make sure you get some food on your plate. Otherwise, you'll go hungry. And uh, I met Rebecca um, and her family. They were from uh, a place, I don't know whether you've heard of it, Ballyhome. Yeah, sorry if I've offended anybody this morning. I had to do that. Ballyhome is a wonderful place. And God loves people from Ballyhome as well. It's a word for somebody this morning. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, where was I? Um, Rebecca and I, um, we, we met each other. Um, her family, they were way more civilized than me, right? When people talked at the dinner table, they listened to each other. That's not really the way it was in my house. We just talked over each other. And it's even worse now. <laughs> Um, And and one of the things I didn't realize was that I'd actually lived all of my life up to this point using my knife and fork incorrectly, right? (sighs) Who knew, right? I'd traveled a, a bit before this, before I met Rebecca. I'd been to India, I'd been to Africa by this stage, but nobody had actually broke this truth to me. Nobody had pointed out this fault in my character, this major fault in my character, this major fault in who I was, and then I met Rebecca and she was not long pointing out that there was something seriously and massively wrong with me. Like this was, I'm not joking, this was a big deal. This was a big, big deal. And don't worry, um, I asked Rebecca yesterday if it was okay for me to tell a story and, and she's okay that we can laugh about it now, it is funny, but back then she fought hard to try and change me because she was embarrassed by my lack of table etiquette. And if you were to ask her, she'll tell you that she was completely ashamed to be eating with me in a restaurant. She actually refused to go in for dinner with me once. I'm painting her in a bad light here. She's a lovely person. Um, I'm, I'm so blessed by her, truthfully. Um, but she nearly completely rejected me for it, and it nearly broke us up, strangely. Um, the truth is, we were actually both really insecure back then. We were unsure of who we were. We cared way too much about what other people thought about us. And over the last 14 years, we've been married for nearly 12 of those. God has done and is continuing to do a work in our hearts. We are known by him. We are accepted by him. He loves us completely. He's not too cool or too posh for us, and he's not ashamed of us. He's not embarrassed by us, and he never rejects us. He doesn't hide us from his friends and try and cover for us. He knows us fully, warts and all, and he loves us completely. And he has a unique plan and purpose for each one of us. He accepts us fully. And finally, I want to say to you this morning that we can know him. It's so common for people to believe that God is unknowable, And untouchable. Yet Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that he has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus. Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all three things. And through him also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his wonderful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Under the old covenant, that is the old agreement that God had with his people before Jesus came and died on the cross to establish a new covenant of grace. What happened under the old agreement was that God's presence dwelt in the center of the temple. That part of the temple was called the Holy of Holies. And there was a large veil or curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. That the people had access to, and, and once a year, and only once a year, the, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies to make what was known as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. And amazingly, whenever Jesus died on a cross on the cross, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. This sixty foot high thick. You think think of the thickest curtain that you had in your house and quadruple it. This was a thick curtain. This was 60 feet high and it was torn in two from top to bottom at the exact moment that Jesus drew his last breath as he died on the cross. We have access to the King of Kings, to the living God. We can encounter him. We can have a personal friendship with him. 1 John 2, verse 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We can know God personally because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. I love this song from about 25 years ago. Enter in, enter in. I am free to enter in. In his name, in his blood, In his spirit, I come freely to the throne of grace and worship face to face. Oh, praise the living God. I am free. I am free to enter in. Because of the death of Jesus on the cross, we can encounter the God of the universe personally. We can hear him speak to us. We can feel his presence and his love with us through the Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts. So as we worship again, just a moment, Ian, if you want to come on up. And as we take communion, let me invite you to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness God I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen and I'm going to invite all of us to pray this together why don't, why don't you stand if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and, and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus or maybe you have followed Jesus in the past and, and you haven't been following him over this last while and you just want to recommit again or maybe like me you've been following Jesus for many years I invite all of us to pray this with me as, as we recommit our lives to him today. So let's that's, that's all of us pray together. The words are up on the screen. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God, that you died on the cross to rescue me from sin and death and to restore me to the Father. I choose now to turn from my sins my self-centeredness, and every part of my life that does not please you. I choose you, I give myself to you, and I submit fully to you. I receive your forgiveness and ask you to take your rightful place in my life as the king of my heart. Come reign in me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you you love me fully and completely, that you're proud of me and not ashamed of me. Help me to walk freely and lightly, alive in your love and grace for all of my days. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you give your life to Jesus or you give your life back to Jesus, we'd love to pray with you later on. So please come and and talk to us and we'd love just to to celebrate with you. Um, And Jesus, for all of us this morning, I pray that as we eat this bread and take this cup That we will taste and see that you are indeed good. Come and reveal your love for each one of us here today. Come Holy Spirit.